had me at Jello, Jello. You had me at Jello. You had me at Jello. Oh, you had me at Jello. Hi, everybody. Five o'clock on a Friday. You know what that means? Time for another installment of Cello Chat. Thrilled to have with me this week, Mindy Park. Professor Park, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, I'm looking really looking forward to this. So let's let's dive in with how did you get to where you are? You have a an interesting musical journey. What even drew you to cello in the first place? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So let's go way back. <laughs> when I was four, uh, I started playing piano. So piano was. Uh, surprisingly, my main instrument for a long time, and uh, my piano teacher thought it would be great for me to learn something on the side. She suggested strings, and she said, remember, piano is your main instrument, but let's have you try something else, too, just for the fun of it. And I just remember... Um, I think it was at school when I was uh, seven or something. We had learned about string instruments and the different string family. And I had to choose between violin, viola, cello, and double bass. And I thought the cello was the coolest of them all. <laughs> so uh, my mom had a uh, family friend who played cello and said, hey, can you give Mindy some cello lessons on the side of piano? Her piano teacher said it's going to be good for her to learn something else, too. And the moment I played cello, I fell in love with it. And unfortunately, piano was not my main interest <laughs> after I started the cello. And I had to make a decision at one point in my life. Do I want to continue pursuing uh, more piano and cello on the side? Or did I want to switch the emphasis. And I had to have that serious talk with my piano teacher, told her I am more interested in cello. I think I want to go more in the route of cello. And luckily, I had joined a youth orchestra. And one of the youth orchestra parents um, suggested that I talk to Hans Jensen. So I'm from Chicago. So she said that Hans Jensen didn't really work with young students, but he was interested in pursuing the idea of working with young students. I think I was eight and I said, sure, uh, let's go, let's go um, audition for Hans Jensen. And if you know anything about Hans Jensen, <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it was a surprise at first when I got to uh, meet him, but um, he took me on board. And so this was really early on in my cello, um, cello learning progress. But um, he took me on and I studied with him for 10 years, almost 10 years from then. So I worked with him since I was eight up until I had graduated um, high school. And then I went off to pursue a degree in cello performance at the Colburn School of Music in Los Angeles. And I studied with Ron Leonard. Ronald Leonard, who is a very different type of teacher than Hans Jensen, very different personality um, as well. And I would say Ronald Leonard, uh, Mr. Leonard, was more hands off. So he had high expectations for his students and he expected that his students would uh, reach those high expectations kind of more on their own. And in um, in Chicago, when I was studying with Hans Jensen, it was a little different. Of course, I wasn't in college at that time. So um, he was very involved in um, 
just about everything, my practicing and um, everything from, um, you know, different repertoire I play, different etudes. With uh, Mr. Leonard, it was a little different. And so I had to uh, learn a lot from that. I had to develop different kinds of strategies and how to work a little more on my own. I'm not saying that Mr. Leonard was wholly hands off. I mean, he was really involved in my uh, college experience. And I love working with him so much that I continued to study with him two more years to get an artist diploma in cello performance at the same school. I felt that I had still so much more to learn from him. So, um, yes, I studied with uh, Mr. Leonard for six years and I developed an interest for teaching and there was this expectation that I would uh, eventually audition into a professional orchestra and get an orchestral career, but orchestra or orchestral playing was something I enjoyed, but I didn't really see myself going in that route for a professional career. And I had some in um, interest in teaching, so I did pursue some teaching when I was at Colburn, and, and then I ended up moving back to Chicago and... Um, with different, I would say, little hurdles here and there, I did eventually uh, get a faculty position at both the Music Institute of Chicago and also um, the Northwestern University Music Academy. And that's where I would say I grew a lot as a teacher. And while I was teaching and working with students of various, various ages from, let's say, uh, preschool all the way to retired adults, I developed all sorts of questions about music teaching in general, not just cello teaching, but music education. I had all these questions come up and I decided to look at different kinds of books, different sorts of resources out there. And that's when my eyes opened to music education research which was one of the reasons why I decided to um, pursue a couple degrees in music education alongside cello teaching and cello playing, because I wanted to learn more about research and how research could, in some ways, unlock some of the questions that I was having. I'm not saying that research is going to solve all the problems of the world, but I felt that if I had developed some of the skills of research, then I would possibly get closer to some of the answers that I was seeking, um, which then led me to decide to pursue a PhD in music education, which I had just finished and completed uh, this past May. And um, I can definitely go into that whole process itself later on and talk about my, my um, research interests and, and things like that. But um, I had always known that I will would be teaching in some sort of university context because I had some of that experience before and also uh, was a graduate teaching assistant during my PhD um, journey and so I uh, dove into the world of applications for higher education and uh, landed my current position as an assistant professor of cello at University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. So that's a short version of my musical journey, but um, kind of shows where I was at different points of my life and how I ended up here. Excellent. And let's see, and your the doctoral degree wasn't at Boston, 
No, no. The doctoral degree was at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Right. But when you were in Boston, too. So the Boston, actually, um, that was an online master's degree ah. in music education. So I wanted to continue teaching along side doing a master's degree so it was pretty crazy um, <laughs> i had yeah at one point when i was teaching in chicago i had about 40 cello students in my studio and i was also doing a, a master's degree on the side it was a bit crazy <laughs> but you know i'm alive and i'm well and i i got through it and it was all worth it in the end right well mm -hmm. and and not that music is the only field where people are as passionate as we are, but it's definitely a field where very often it's it can be fun to just pour and, and be just immersed mm -hmm. as fully as possible in this thing that we love so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's let's do segue from there to your and it is it's both an article and a presentation that you've given more than once. Yes. On student-centered teaching. And I mean, if I may, as a preface, because I think even maybe when I first saw that article, I mean, there, there are surely a number of people that think, well, isn't any lesson, for example, going to be student-centered, but you mean something very specific. Right, right. So for me, um, student-centered means having the student have uh, being kind of in that driver's seat, being having the authority of um, driving the lesson, having the student voice what they really are interested in, what they're really uh, passionate about, and then bringing that into the curriculum. So um, this was a part of my big master's project, and that's where I tried to dive into what would uh, student-centered teaching look like in a private studio kind of setting. And I know that many people out there are going to think, yeah, well, I am student-centered. I hope I am, you know? And I think in many ways, teachers have to be. That's, that is a part of teaching. We do. But what I am saying is to really go beyond just, you know, I talk about going beyond just knowing a little bit about your students. I suggest going beyond that, seeing what your students are involved with outside of their lessons, seeing what that what they listen to outside. And one of the reasons why I had pursued this in the first place was that I was finding that retention was a difficult part of uh, building a cello studio. I found that many students started cello because they were curious and interested possibly maybe their parents were forcing them to study and when they got to a certain age they just didn't want to keep doing it and to me it was always sad to lose a student because of you know maybe they were saying I just really don't like cello or I don't really like the music that I'm learning in cello and that to me was very problematic and I had to really reflect on the way I was teaching to see if it was something I was doing or and, and I noticed that at times I really wasn't taking the student into consideration. I think I was basing a lot off of what I had done as a student and trying to have my students in some ways follow the steps that I had taken and for some students I think 
that could be a good way of learning the cello. And I realized for some other students, not so much. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to create a certain kind of curriculum for my cello studio that involved them in the process to include some of the music that they were listening to outside of cello playing. So we started learning how to uh, compose music. We started learning how to arrange music, how to jam with different friends. And my one of my students in my project, um, his name was Ben, he... Um, was one of those kids who just never talked in a cello lesson. Never. He came in, he had like a, what was it, like a 30-minute really short lesson, was coming in because his mom told him to, and I didn't really see him inspired. I didn't really see him motivated. He was never practicing at home. And I said, Ben, what? why are you doing this? Why are you playing cello in the first place? And he said, well, because my mom made me. And I said, no, really, why, why, why do you like music? Do you like music? He said, oh, yeah, I love music. And I said, let's go from there. What is it that you love about music? And he started sharing all these things about different, um, different genres of music that he was listening to, different styles, different artists. And I said, well, wh what, what do you think about maybe bringing some of that into cello lessons? And he said, sure. And I said, you know, let's, let's uh, bring a list of songs that you listen to regularly. And we're going to figure out how we can bring that into cello playing. And all of a sudden, I saw Ben just light up. And of course, it, it was important to, you know, learn scales and different kinds of technique because he had to have a certain kind of technique to be able to play and arrange music and all that. But for him, it wasn't, it, that wasn't the most important thing. I think what, what was important was the idea of being able to bring in things that were relevant to his life, that were meaningful to him. And this kid, Ben, just suddenly started talking a lot and he just, he became so energetic, so enthusiastic. And most of the lesson was him talking about how he had um, listened to the song at home and decided to arrange the piece somehow this way for the cello. My role was just to kind of sit outside, watch him in that process, offer some of my expertise because, you know, I, I think there were certain things that he couldn't figure out that I was there to help him. And that, I think, really inspired me because I, I noticed that this kid, Ben, is probably going to continue playing cello for the rest of his life now because he has these skill sets to be able to apply it to things that he really enjoyed. And um, I did have to eventually stop teaching because I had to move away to uh, complete a PhD in um, music ed. But I, I'm 100% sure that Ben is still playing. And he eventually ended up joining a band where he created a band with his students and played cello with his band because he had that skill set. So for me, I think that is one example of student-centered teaching where um, I had to figure out, or I had to, in some ways, let down a few of my um, expectations in a way with like technique and, and etudes and things that I had grown up with. And I had to put some of that aside and then I had to bring in something else. And that I think took some time for me to um, 
understand and figure out as well. So the project was um, a good way for me to try a few things. And if they didn't work, then I tossed them aside and then bring in another thing. So my students started to learn how to improvise. I'm not an expert improviser, but I told them, hey, we're going to learn how to improvise together. And when my students figured out that it's okay to not be good at improvising or something like that because their teacher wasn't really that comfortable with it either. Um, they started being more willing to learn a with it. And so I, I think that really was a humbling experience on my part. And um, yeah, so student-centered teaching to me is of course, you know, centering on your students and all that, but it's also taking that next extra step next extra effort to bring in more of your student to the lesson. So hopefully that answers a little bit of that question then. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. definitely. Now, a uh, follow-up though, like some of the things you mentioned, arranging, composition, improvisation, um, a lot of these sort of just getting one's brain around music, the nuts and bolts of music in a fluent manner. To what extent do you find yourself recommending cellists also spend some time working on the keyboard like you did in early on, you know, early stages to internalize some of those uh, aspects of music. Sure, yeah. So your question is, to what extent do I recommend the keyboard? Yeah, piano. Yeah. Well, I think for me, having that uh, piano experience and that skill set has been so um, helpful for everything that I do. And I'm, I think one of the most helpful things from that experience was really building my ear and my, and I have, so I have perfect pitch. I can, I feel that um, my ear training experience and uh, being able to hear things really well in my head has been tremendously tremendously useful for things like improvisation and composing and arranging. So um, I always recommend people, even if they started cello um, as their primary instrument, to still complement piano playing, piano, some sort of piano training along the side. And something that I am really proud to do right now is to be able to play with my students. So I'm able to collaborate with them. Piano, actually in um, a little over an hour, I'm gonna go to studio class and play the second movement of the Sing Song Cello Concerto with the student. Um, so to me, it's like that, that skill set is in some ways so valuable and I can use it really to my advantage. And during COVID, one of the hardest things was to be able to play with other people. So something that I was able to do was I was able to record myself playing cello and then accompanying myself on the piano and recording them and combining them. Now, that to me was the coolest thing because that was an example of me being able to play with myself. <laughs> and sometimes I, I wish I could do that in a live con con concert setting if I can, <laughs> right? So I always encourage people to you know, it doesn't have to be like super rigorous uh, piano training, but having just even some kind of experience with that is going to be useful in some ways with all the different skill sets that I talked about with improvising, 
composing, arranging, and beyond that. Yeah, beyond that, right. I'm sure you use, like what you said, the ear training that you got from that in memorizing the Tchaikovsky Pezzo Capriccios. Uh, um, uh, you did the, what did you play? Pezzo Capriccios. Okay, all right, I did have it. I just, um, <laughs> and or, or just even as a player of a variable pitch instrument, using your ears to tune a pitch before you get there. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than find out after the fact that that's out of tune. No, you need to know before you even start right. your finger down. Very nice. Now let's do, I do want to um, also ask, going back a little bit about in your own teaching style, how have the approaches of Hans Jensen and, and uh, Leonard affected you? How do you, mm-hmm. um, how do you incorporate both of them. I mean, I know, I think a lot of us have our teachers in mm-hmm. our head at kind of at all times. Mm-hmm. How do you feel influenced by both of them? Right. Um, so as I had mentioned, um, I was one of the first very young students of Hans Jensen. I can't say I'm the first, but I think I was one of the very few um, at the beginning of when he was thinking of, you know, trying to work with younger students. So um, I do remember that this was nothing like Suzuki. <laughs> it was nothing like that. It was quite, um, quite, how do I say it in, in one word? It was quite rigorous. So um, he, he, and I want to really thank him. I'm very grateful for that, that um, kind of, um, instruction and he really focused a lot on scales. Scales was a huge part of his um, instruction, and then the etudes, of course, and um, just really going through a lot of uh, challenging repertoire. So he liked to push me to, to I would say. Um, if there's a cliff, he liked to push me all the way to the edge. <laughs> and, um, and that was one of, I think, his, his strategies with working with students, which could be why he has such great uh, students, right? And, and, you know, a lot of them are, have won some big international competitions. And then, so... I, I think for me, um, I like to find myself kind of in between Hans Jensen's style of teaching and Ronald Leonard's style of teaching. So I, I talked about Ronald Leonard and how he was a bit more hands-off. And um, he, of course, had certain ideas that he felt had to be done and he had some high expectations and he um, taught in a specific way. And with him, it was all about um, trimming things down. So I think one of the things that I had brought into when I when I came to Colburn was I was a very unpredictable player. <laughs> so I was like all over the place in some ways. And I, I think Ronald Leonard helped me trim that those ideas down and taught me sometimes that less can be more. And that is something that I think have has resonated with me a lot, and that's what I think has uh, been 
continuously brought through in, in all of my different stages of my life. And so I think I, for me, um, hopefully that makes sense with the less is more, but I like to, you know, help my students be able to express their musical ideas and, and musical thoughts and, and different sorts of stories in sort of a more simplistic, less is more kind of manner than trying to pile everything up and creating something that's very uh, over the top and volatile. And, and yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think I think that that was me back then. And then now I've, I've come down to this idea of a little bit less can be better, simplistic in terms of trying to put all your ideas in and and express things. Um, so yeah, that I, that's that's a really great question. I I don't really think about that very much of how you know those two very drast drastically different teachers have impacted me. I think I just find them to be so great as teachers, and I've I've appreciated every moment I've worked with them, and never really thought about that. So thank you for asking that. <laughs> well, and then like on the less is more that brings to mind also your earlier mentionings of things like arranging and improvisation. First time people try to do either of those, they tend to want to throw the kitchen sink, you know, yeah. just pull out all yeah. the stops in every single measure. Like, mm, there's something to be said about, uh, about a purity of an idea and not mm -hmm. trying to clutter it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think let's segue from that to the motivation question, which you really, I mean, have addressed quite a bit already and clearly are very focused on what motivates a student. But I also, I just want to open up to you in case you have other thoughts on ways when a student shows signs of, of just kind of stalling out, burning out, whether it's on a particular piece or just in, in a time period in their development. Do you have some other favorite things you like to do to help inspire students to, to keep going and, if anything, up their amount of commitment to music and the cello? Yes. So from my experience working with very different kinds of, of, of kids and, and adults and college students, um, I think one of those magical moments is when they hear their sound and they are really pleased with how they sound. I think for me, those are the magical moments when they themselves hear themselves play and they're thinking, wow, I sound good. <laughs> and so I, I think for me, I, I want all students to have that kind of moment because those are the kinds of moments that also keep me going too. You know, when, when sometimes I don't sound good, and that sometimes brings me down. <laughs> and but when I when I when I hear myself and I'm thinking that sounds good, I want to do that again. That motivates me and encourages me. So one of the important I would say parts of my teaching philosophy and pedagogies is to make sure that the, each student has their unique sound and that it's a sound that really comes from them and that they're really pleased with. So a lot of what we do in lessons is to try to find that sound and to be able to 
continue playing that with that sound through all sorts of pieces that they play. Um, I talk a lot about the voice, and I'll, I'll talk a lot about singing when I teach. And I find that the cello is our voice, and we have all these stories and, and messages and, and things that we want to bring out, but if, if we're not able to actually sing, sing it, but we use our cello to sing it, we want that sound from our cello to really be what we want to present. So we talk a lot about that, and I've, I've seen so many of my students light up and, and their um, cello journey just changes when they find that sound. So even early on when I work with beginner students um, who many people might think beginner students can't really make a good sound, I focus on sound right off the bat because I want them to be able to hear what they can produce. But to be able to produce that sound, there has to be some work done. There's there, um, a good sound from a cello doesn't just come freely. It doesn't just come uh, randomly. There's There are a lot of things that we as cellists have to do to be able to create that nice sound. So sometimes what I like to do is if I have a beginner student, I take their cello and I, I play their cello. I say, look, listen to your cello. Listen to the sound that your cello can create. We are going to have you create that sound and to be able to play different kinds of pieces and songs through that sound to make it your own. And to me, I, I think that's, that's the most important part of what I do, to make sure that they, they have their own sound. And then another part of, okay, so this, this kind of um, connects with what I'm, I'm saying right now, but another thing that's important to me is lifelong music making. Yeah. So I, I really want all my students to be able to play throughout the rest of their life. doesn't have to be that they have to major in cello performance or that they have to have a prof professional career in cello. I still want them to have that desire and that passion to want to continue seeking music making throughout the rest of their life. If it's cello, that's great. If it's another form of music making, that's fine with me as well. Um, I know that one of my students who um, was playing cello, he was interested in music tech. He was really interested in that whole music tech side of things. And he decided to end up going into that music tech route. So he doesn't really play cello very often, but he, he, he developed this interest and continue along with it and now has a career in music tech. So to me, it's like, that's amazing. And I, I want to keep um, teaching to be able to create these lifelong music makers. Yes. So did that answer your question? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, and it is, it is funny because on the one hand, this question about motivation, it's, mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a very broad question of philosophy about uh, everything from what what drives ourselves and the beauty of the sound and the curiosity and everything. And then on the other end, it's a very specific thing that has to be catered to each individual student, like what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Where if if you don't, um, you it's like your student centered teaching in that if you're 
pre-planned to say the same thing to each student, and that's not what they're needing to hear right now. Right. Have to help make the the big picture stuff apply to to each one. Yeah, I, I do think it made sense what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So projects for the future, I'm sure both in terms of uh, performances or additional research and articles or papers, what do you have coming up in 2023? Yes, so 2022, I had a lot of performing and that has been the past, <laughs> past fall semester, I've been doing a lot of performing, but um, I'd say 2023, so starting right from January, I am gonna be doing a lot of presenting on my dissertation project. So my dissertation project was um, all focused on, so it, it began with musical creativity. And then what I did was I spanned out from that and I talked a lot about this whole idea of enabling creative agency in string teaching. So um, this is like a whole nother conversation in itself, but for me, all that all the stuff that we had talked about earlier in our conversation today has a lot to do with this idea of enabling creative agency. Creative agency is um, this idea of giving people permission and authority to make their own musical decisions, their own um, ideas of musical sound, and to be able to facilitate different kinds of experiences that helps them enhance their creativity. Uh, so my uh, project was all about that. I found some really amazing string teachers out there who were doing very, very fascinating things in their music classrooms, um, including an elementary orchestra teacher who was working with beginner strings, and they were learning how to um, create solos um, off the bat. So it was just like they just got their violin, they just got their cellos, and but they were improvising and doing all these amazing things that I myself had never experienced as an elementary school student. And another teacher who was working with electric strings in his orchestra. So his orchestra was all electric strings and they were doing some really, really cool things with that. And another um, teacher was a private teacher who was teaching um, his students how to be um, expert improvisers. So just all these really cool things, they were doing all these cool things alongside teaching things like technique alongside teaching things that were imperative to, you know, uh, their um, imperative to their string, string playing. So um, my projects, if I, if I had to say, like, if I had a project coming up, my hope is to continue um, in that line of research, to continue working on um, maybe branching further out from my project, but I have quite a few different presentations that I have to give about my dissertation project. Um, one of the biggest ones is uh, I'm gonna be going to Orlando, Florida in March for the Ask the National Conference. I'm gonna be presenting my own session exactly on my project, doing more about the applications of it. So I think it's important that I tell them, I'll tell string teachers about my project, but I think the most important thing is how they can apply that to their own teaching. And um, my hopes from that is to make sure that people don't feel scared to 
facilitate creative music making, even if they're not experts at it. I think a lot of um, misconceptions come from people thinking that, oh, I'm not that good at something like improvising, but uh, I'm going to say, well, yeah, that's okay, but you can still facilitate um, your your music teaching in a way that can incorporate improvising, just like how I said that I uh, worked with my student and said, I am not a good improviser, but I'm willing to learn alongside you. And um, yeah, so so for me, that's the most important part. I'm kind of nervous. I This is kind of gonna be the, um, the debut of my project in um, into the public. And I, I was very proud of how that dissertation project ended, but now, you know, I want to bring it out to the world and I want to write articles about it. And I want to share what I had learned and continue along, along that path and go forward with more different projects. Um, so 2023 is, I would say that, entrance into <laughs> that that um that side of um research and and presenting for me so um also i hope to continue performing more um i'd love to have my own faculty recital sometime in the spring because i think for me speaking of motivation for me i'm someone who has to set goals if i don't have any goals it's very hard for to stay motivated so Ever since I was a kid, I always had to have these kinds of deadlines or some sorts of dates to look forward to and to prepare something for that date. So I know that for me, what's important is that I need to continue setting those sorts of goals. And I, I, I was uh, at a student recital last night and I got very inspired. I thought, you know, that student probably put so much work and time to to put on a recital like that. And I thought I should do that too. <laughs> no matter where I am in, in my life, no matter where I am in, in my career and my cello playing, I still have so much room to grow. And I think for me, um, there's so much music out there that I still haven't learned. And there's so much music that's being composed and created every day. And I'd love to be able to explore them, to discover them, and to bring them out into the world. So um, I'd love to be able to perform a faculty recital next spring. It'll be crazy, <laughs> and you probably know <laughs> from, from you know, your own experiences performing. It takes a lot of time and effort, and you have to practice, but I, I think I'm, I'm down for that challenge. Nice. Very yes. nice. Well, excellent. Yeah, and I look forward to your session in Aspen too. Oh, will you be there? Oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, oh. my goodness. I, I look forward to seeing you there. <laughs> Great. Well, and, and if our paths also cross in uh, trying to resuscitate the Wisconsin Cello Society, that would be fun <laughs> as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Mindy, and, and best of luck to you all out there in your practicing this weekend and throughout the rest of the week. And we'll see you this time next Friday. Yes. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>